0: Fan. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It's Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. And we start the show with the loss of a fan, the owner of the San Diego Padres, one of the great fans of baseball, one of the great lovers of San Diego as a city someone who was willing to spend as much money as it took to get the fans a winning team and a world series and the biggest fan himself passed away only 63 years old a complete shock to everybody we had known everybody had known that he was sick but didn't know the extent of how sick he was some people choose to be sick in private some people choose to be sick in public there's no right there's no wrong at the end of the day The announcement came from San Diego. The organization, the beloved owner of the Padres has passed away. When you die owning a team, there are several things that have taken place and a lot of people have asked me questions. I want to give the proper respect to the Seidler family. It is a nightmare to have your father, uncle, grandfather, friend, owner pass away so prematurely and 63 is quite premature. So Peter, rest in peace. All of the criticisms I've had of A.J. Preller of the Padres of your spending were done with respect and love. That said, I have to talk a little business about what happens because the audience is interested. So Peter, rest in peace. I'm sorry you didn't get to see the fruits of your labor, but you did. You saw sold-out Petco Park. You saw revitalization of San Diego. You saw a team with a chance, a hope, a prayer. You saw disappointment. You saw victory. Every team in Major League Baseball has to submit a succession plan to Major League Baseball in case of death to the owner. It's not just a succession plan that gets filed with baseball. There's also a disaster plan that is filed with baseball. If everybody dies, like in a plane crash, like your team plane goes down, or a plane goes down with 10 of your top executives, there are different scenarios that you plan for, that you are ready for, though of course you're never ready for a disaster and you do the best you can, and most of them have no playbook, but you try to prepare as best as you can. The succession plan that baseball has, they are not focused as an industry on your estate taxes, on your estate plan. When you hear succession plan, you're hearing Logan Roy. When I, when I hear succession plan as it relates to baseball, I'm talking about who is going to be the next control partner the controlling owner. Remember in baseball, there's a lot of people who own a team. Peter Seiler did not own 100% of the Padres. He had partners. But according to baseball rules, there's only one control person. And the control person is the one who gets to vote. So tomorrow there's gonna be a vote on the A's relocation to Vegas. You don't get five votes per team or eight votes. It's not like electoral votes. It's one vote per team. The Yankees have the same one vote as the Marlins. And the person who says yay or nay, or yes or no, or in favor, not in favor, favor against one person, the control person. When the control person cannot go to a specific owner's meeting, there is notice given to Major League Baseball, the commissioner's office, that the control person will not be there and the president of the team will be acting as the control person for this meeting. And that means that the president of the team at that particular meeting has the power to vote, his vote for his team. The succession plan is who's gonna be the next control person for the San Diego Padres. And it gets approved by baseball, not by a vote of the owners, but by the commissioner and the commissioner's office. Is it the wife, if if it's the man who dies? Is it the son, the daughter? Is it the president? whatever the succession plan is for the control person, and it goes into effect immediately. There will be a funeral for Peter Seidler, and the commissioner will send a representative, or he'll go himself, and there will be nice speeches and nice thoughts, but the business of the sport will go on. The owners' meetings will go on today and tomorrow. The vote on the A's being relocated will go on. The next thing that people are asking is what's gonna happen with the team? Will the new control person operate the team differently than Peter? Obviously, we don't know the answer to that yet, but what we do know is that Peter, in charge, was very serious about building as good a team as he could, signing as many players as possible, basically, on the come. If we build it, will you come? And he built a great team, And people came, but not spending the amount of money required to raise the amount of revenue required to cover the expense of his current payroll. So the team that he was operating was losing tremendous amounts of money. It is not out of the question that whoever is the new control person, even though this family has said it's staying in the family for generations, that there will be more pressure brought to bear by partners of the Seidler family to run the team more responsibly. I'm not adjusting my way to see cause I told you the payroll was gonna go down. I'm not adjusting my way to see cause I told you that Juan Soto was gonna be traded. What I'm telling you now is with the unfortunate passing of Seidler, the team will have to be operated in a more economically responsible way. I have been around the commissioner when there have been changes of control people and there have been statements and conversations that I've had where a change of control, whether it's through a sale, through a, like when, jo- when Peter Angelo switched control to his son, oh, and he was still alive, but couldn't do it anymore. There's all sorts of reasons why a control person changes. But one of the things that baseball tries to do when there's a new control person is they try to get that person in line. And what it means to be in line is that you are a good partner and meaning that you are running your team responsibly. So it would not be out of the question for whoever enters into the Padres control person position is spoken to and said, listen, we all miss Peter, but we're not running, We, you are not running and we are not allowing you to continue to run this team at the deficit you are running it at. The rope that we gave Peter to try to get revenue up by increasing payroll, you've seen it, you've tried it, we're not giving you that rope again. And that's not gonna get a lot of press because it may look like you are doing things too inappropriate too soon to the death of an owner, but that's really what does go on in terms of conversations. Remember the expression, whenever you're feeling too important, the king is dead, long live the king. Life goes on, but we always remember people who have passed and we tell stories we talk about them especially in Judaism you always tell stories about those who have died in order to keep their memory alive and in order for future generations not using google for future generations to understand and hear and feel stories of love and funny stories do you know that's what shiva is coca side note i know you know this Shiva is not when someone dies, it is when someone dies who's Jewish. You get together, it's sort of like a party. You eat bagels and cream cheese and tuna fish and chicken salad and Nova, and you tell stories. You don't sit there saying, woe is me. You tell funny stories about the person. There are a lot of good stories about Peter Seidler. I shared one on Twitter. I enjoyed my time with him. Every time I was with him, whether it was at owner's meetings or when the Marlins were playing the Padres or when I was just in San Diego for board meetings, So generous with his time, so eclectic with his interests, and so passionate about his team. Peter Seidler passes away at the young age of 63. Did you notice there, Coca? I hope you took notice that I did not during any of that segment say one word about the general manager. I promised you I wouldn't, so I'm not. Another day we'll talk about that, but not today. What I wanna get to now is the owners meetings that are continuing. Today is Wednesday, November 15th, and today is the day when the committees meet. So the competition committee, the executive council, the relocation committee might even meet, the strategic planning committee, the rules committee, labor, all the different committees within the ownership group all meet on Wednesday. Then there's a dinner tonight that the commissioner hosts where the commissioner gives a little speech, a little congratulations to Texas, where he'll be crossing his toes and his fingers. Very rare that an owner's meeting is in the place where the World Series was won, but the meeting is in Arlington. Obviously, Texas won the World Series. Then tomorrow morning, there's a breakfast. And then at around 8.30, all 30 teams convene in a large, full major league meeting it's called. That is when the vote for A's relocation will take place. It will take place in the form of a motion. There'll be a second, then there'll be a vote and they won't do it in favor, opposed. They'll actually do a roll call. And the way the roll call happens, they don't always start with Atlanta and end with Washington. They actually rotate every single roll call vote that's taken at any owner's meeting. So if last vote, whatever that vote was, the first vote may be the New York Mets. That means the next vote that's taken at the next meeting or even at that meeting starts with the New York Yankees. And the one before that started with the Minnesota Twins. It's an alphabetical order. So you're not always starting with the A and ending with the W because there's a disadvantage to being first and there's an advantage to being last because you know what everybody before you has done. Those are all procedural things that go on during meetings. But the bottom line is the meeting is happening. And when owners get to meetings, the majority of them arrive on Tuesday, some arrive Wednesday, depending on their committee assignments and when the committees meet, because you get an itinerary given to you in advance of when your committee is meeting. Not every owner is on a committee. The real thing you have to be there for if you're not on the committee is you come for the dinner the night before spend one night in the hotel go to the full major league meeting and then fly out when you get to an owner's meeting there always are media who are assigned to go to owners meetings and to go to the press conference that rob manford does at the end of the thursday meeting however prior to that they stay in the lobby And they try to get owners or presidents or whoever's coming in to talk to them. And what they're aiming to do is speak to those who are newsy at the moment. So Hal Steinbrenner is newsy at the moment because of what happened with Brian Cashman and his crazy statements and the whole Stanton situation, which we're gonna talk about again today. So media members are trying to find Hal Steinbrenner. Obviously, owner who is the most newsy is john fisher because this is the meeting where the relocation vote is happening we are going to talk about what it means once it passes if it passes tomorrow we'll cover it on friday john fisher walks into the lobby doesn't matter when you come in at 7am or 7pm there's media there when you go to a meeting when we went to the owner's meeting where contraction was on the table we knew they were looking for the expos When we went to the meeting, when there was the sale of the team to Jeter, we knew that they were looking for us. When we went to a meeting right after all of that big spending in the off season, we knew they were looking for us. Sometimes they're looking for us, sometimes they're looking for someone else. (laughs) Side note, some of the owners or presidents who are sources to members of the national media ignore those members of the national media in front of everybody, but find a way to meet them in the hotel separately in order to be a source for things that are going on in the meeting. Bud Selig, I have a side story, Coca. Bud Selig during owner's meetings. I'd like to give you my imitation of Bud Selig. I'm handing a memo out right now to all of you people, and there'd be 60 of us in the room. And I want to know... Which goddamn one of you is gonna give this to Ron Blum? Ron Blum is a former Horace Mann graduate, Horace Mann alum who works for AP. Ron Blum would get every single document that was given privately to owners and presidents. He had it before some of us had it. Before it could be done getting handed out, he had it. So Bud Steele would say, I just right now, Which one of you jackasses, and Bud had a very, very dirty mouth. He would swear, it was very weird, my first owner's meeting, when you heard Bud say, what the F is wrong with you people talking about signings or talking about? I don't care what Rob thinks, Rob used to be head of labor. I don't care. He doesn't want me to say it, I'm gonna say it. What the F are you people doing? But when it came to PR, he had a PR guy named uh, Rich, Rich Levin was his PR guy, Bud Steelers PR guy. And he would always look over at Rich exasperated. Rich wasn't at the head table. Rich was always in the room, but how does this happen? Why does this happen? So it is true that leaks happen, as you know. So John Fisher walks into the owners meetings and you can expect to see media. Before you go to an owner's meeting, when you know that you are the Newsy team, guess what? you are supposed to prepare with your PR people. Either the plan is walk, keep walking, don't say a word. Or the plan is, I'm happy to talk, but we're gonna talk after the meeting. Or the plan is, let me check in, I'll come back to the lobby in 15 minutes. There's always a plan. And as part of the plan, the plan is what you say because the questions are not, hey, what do you think about the 24 presidential election? Well, I wasn't prepared for that question, so I'm not ready to answer that. You don't need to be a PR genius or a head of crisis PR to know that when John Fisher walks into the owner's meeting, he's going to get asked about relocating the aides to Vegas. Criminy. In addition, there are once in a while, fans who come to the meetings some fans are looking for autographs some fans are looking for pictures believe it or not and some fans are looking to get in front of an owner and just say a few words because you don't have a lot of opportunities to do that John Fisher should reasonably have expected there to be Oakland A's fans at this meeting and he should have reasonably have expected those Oakland A's fans to want to talk to him John Fisher had a decision to make and he chose to talk to the Oakland fans Great, I love that decision, but you better know what you're gonna say. He said to those fans, when they asked him, what's happening? What can we do? Let's save baseball in Oakland. Do the right thing. We can do this. He said that he's been trying to find a solution to stay in the Bay Area for 18 years, but his patience has run out. Now, I can tell you that 18 years ago was 2005. I can tell you that the previous owner was a guy named Lou Wolf, who was Bud Selig's fraternity brother at the University of Wisconsin-Madison Let's Go Badgers. I can tell you that Lou Wolf would like to have kept the team in Oakland, but also wanted to move the team to San Jose, and the San Francisco Giants wouldn't allow it. They looked at ballparks in Fremont. They looked everywhere. Also, they looked at the Oakland Coliseum site I like the concept of saying to your fans, hey, I've been trying for 18 years, I have gotten nowhere. But make sure you also say, I know the mayor has told you that there's a deal in place, but take my word for it, there is no deal in place. I want that out there. John Fisher didn't say it. And then, John Fisher violated the single most important rule of PR when you are an owner of a team or even a president. Never say it's worse for me than it is for you. Ever, even if it's true. When your team loses in the World Series, my God, that must have been so hard for you as fans. I hope you enjoyed the pennant, but I'm sorry that we lost the World Series. We traded a player. God, that must be so difficult to have lost Charles Johnson. I'm very sorry, but Juan Pierre is gonna be great. Take my word for it, wait to see. John Fisher said to these Oakland fans, it's been a lot worse for me than you that's not going to go well, and it didn't. He said, anyway, I just want to let you know I appreciate you guys being here. I appreciate the passion you have shown. Fans showing up to the owner's meeting will not impact John Fisher's plan. It will not impact the vote that is taking place tomorrow. Handing out T-shirts where Larry Bear shoves one in his pocket, brings it up to the room, throws it away there, or leaves it in the room for the housekeeper, none of that will matter to the vote. I appreciate that fans want it to go. I appreciate the media is trying to get a comment from John, but it is a fait accompli. The relocation vote is going to pass, but we will have a long conversation about what it actually means because when it does pass the ownership vote, it does not mean that it's a done deal that the A's are relocating. So John Fisher, ill-prepared, ill-prepared, to speak to fans to speak to media even his conversation with the media wasn't smart i think it's easy to make these things personal but you know they are passionate for the team and i've been in baseball for a long time and i've seen a lot of the ups and downs for the most part people have been focusing their desires to succeed how about this as a statement to the media while There were three fans here in this hotel. I know that there are tens of thousands of fans and hundreds of thousands of people who are impacted by the A's move to Las Vegas. I appreciate the fact that I am the face of that relocation and that there is visceral anger and hatred toward me. I am doing what I think is right for the franchise because that is my ultimate responsibility. I have tried and tried to keep the team in Oakland regardless of what you may think, I have tried and so far I have failed. Don't say I've succeeded in getting the team out of Oakland or in getting a new stadium in Vegas. Say you failed in satisfying the fans of the Oakland A's. Even if your fingers and toes are crossed and you don't mean it, say it, say it. All right, we come back, we're gonna review a cult documentary that I watched on Netflix that we have to talk about. And then we're going to talk about Giancarlo Stanton's agent who did something that you don't often see, and it made me smile. So for those of you who think that I'm always anti-agent and anti-player, not this time. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson and Matthew Coca. We are live every day, 8 a.m. Eastern, on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. So find it, watch it, subscribe it, please. Also, you can download our podcast. We're audio too, which is good. Thank you, Coca, for being here every day. Appreciate that. I watch a movie. Coca's watched more movies since he started with me all these years ago. And uh, I don't know that he'd admit that he is, but certainly when you review the amount of movies that we review and it's one every day, you can check our document on davidsampsonpodcast.com. That's an updated document of all the movies we review, all of our picks of the day, our words of the day, our wait to sees, everything is there for total transparency, total accountability for the things that we say. That's part of what Nothing Personal is. It's a show about sports and business and culture and entertainment and politics but it's mostly about accountability. I take the microphone seriously and I take your time very seriously. There's a movie called Escaping Twin Flames. It's a documentary, it's a limited series in three parts. I had never heard of Twin Flames. Twin Flames, I didn't watch really the Scientology. Um, Why is it that every cult leader is only interested in having sex with everyone in the cult? I really have not been able to figure that out. There are ways to have sex with people. You can go to bars, you can go on dates, you can fall in love. If you have to, you can legally go to Vegas and order it. Why is it that you require women to subjugate themselves and their bodies to you in the name of religion and God? What level of narcissism is that? I'm all for a little bit of narcissism. I just don't get it. There is a thing called Twin Flames University. Here's the irony of what it means. Twin flames, get it? I wish I had two lighters with me. That's for after the show. So like two lighters, there's two flames. Twin flames, they're identical. They cross like roots, two trees that are planted and their roots get entangled and that's what marriage is supposed to be until the damn tree gets cut down and the roots get pulled up and they're rotted sorry i got distracted twin flames it's your Bashert, your destiny your true life's love true love's life yes the concept of twin flames is when you enter twin flames you are told hey you've got a person and this is your person however the person may be a male or a female, you may be a male or a female. But if it's two females, they say to one of the females, you're a male. And by the way, if you're gonna be part of Twin Flames, not only am I saying you're a male, you're about to become a male. You with me? And by the way, you're the female, you're gonna stay a female. But in the relationship, there's the male, there's the female, but here's the best part. If you're the female, I get to have sex with you because we're gonna have some golden children. This one hasn't ended in a standoff yet. This one hasn't ended in prison yet. As a matter of fact, no charges have been brought against this guy. It's a guy and his wife, an absolute freak, disgusting person. If you find yourself at any point in your life where family and friends are not a priority and you have withdrawn into a group of people who are telling you they're the only people to hang out with, that they're the best people to hang out with, and by the way, everyone else sucks. That's a cult, and it's gonna end with you having to have sex with the head of it. So don't do it. Escaping Twin Flames is a cautionary tale. It will go by in a gif. It's three hours long, and I went back to back to back. Of course, there were people who had escaped who were part of the documentary. There are people who are still a part of it, who are part of the documentary. And it was quite, quite interesting. I grant you that I have given you a lot of anti-agent rhetoric as part of nothing personal, because we are all a victim of our past and I've had to deal with agents, many of whom are uh, not pleasant to deal with. Scott Boras is obviously the number one, the most disingenuous, the biggest, crooked, most disgraceful agent there is. But some of you have mistakenly thought that that's been my view of every agent I've ever worked with. Giancarlo Stanton's agent is a guy by the name of Joel Wolf. Joe Wolf is someone who obviously I've worked with very closely over the years. Joe Wolf is on the Mount Rushmore of player agents. He is honest. That doesn't mean he's not a good negotiator. It doesn't mean that he doesn't represent his clients to the fullest extent. It doesn't mean that he doesn't take advantage of every inch of the collective bargain agreement where there are benefits for a player. It doesn't mean that he and I have always agreed or seen eye to eye. You don't have to always agree with someone you work with or work against to have respect for that person. Healthy disagreement in a relationship, business or personal, is basically the the soil that leads to the fertilizer that is the growth of commonality of interest and togetherness. Joel Wolf and I have gone back and forth and back and forth many times. One of the things that I have always appreciated about him is that he has a unique understanding of the media, a unique understanding of what the media can be used for, how they can be helpful, how they can be hurtful. He has a unique understanding of how best to represent his client. When Giancarlo Stanton agreed to the $325 million 13-year contract, however many years ago, Coco, what was the year? I want to say it was 2015, maybe. I don't remember what year it was. And uh, you'd think I would remember that. I have it. Oh, I think it's down somewhere else. I don't know where it exactly is. I have a picture of it. I should show that one day. Anyway. When an agent signs a player to a contract, that agent gets the commission of that contract every year. Oh, it's done November of 14 for the 2015 season. Thank you, Coca. When Giancarlo Stanton signed the deal, Joe Wolf, who was the agent at the time, will receive the commission every single year. Whether or not Stanton leaves Joe Wolf, which he hasn't and never will, but Stanton is a example of a player who Scott Boris would not try to poach because what's the use? You're not going to make any money off him, so why poach him? As opposed to a player who's going year to year, then you only get paid for that particular year. And then you're poachable because if you sign a long-term deal with a different agent, it's the new agent who gets the money, even though the old agent spent all the time grooming the player, working with the player, and loving the player. So, Joe Wolf already earned his commission for Giancarlo Stanton. Joe Wolf doesn't need to spend any more time on Giancarlo Stanton. There are agents who, once their players are signed, they're done with them, they ignore them. Joe Wolf is not that player. Joe Wolf is still incredibly in touch, involved, and a huge part of Giancarlo Stanton's life. When Brian Cashman did what he did to Giancarlo Stanton, did you think for one minute? that Joe Wolf was gonna not respond. I didn't think that Giancarlo would respond because that's not his style. It used to be when he was younger. He's the one who responded after we made that trade in November of 2012 and he tweeted, what the hell's wrong with you people? What's going on here? That was 11 years ago. That was a kid in his early 20s. Giancarlo Stanton is a 34-year-old man. He knows there is no sense in having an emotional response to Cashman's idiotic statement from the other day. That came to light the other day that was said at the GM meeting. Listen to our show yesterday. We talked about it. Where he said that Stanton's going to be hurt and stay hurt and whatever. Joel Wolf calls up Giancarlo and says, listen, I'm about to respond. And I'm going to respond in an email to The Athletic and I'm going to have your back, G. That's a good agent. And listen to what Joe Wolf emailed to the Athletic. I read the context of the entire interview, Joe Wolf said. I think it's a good reminder for all free agents considering signing in New York, both foreign and domestic, that to play for that team, You've got to be made of Teflon, both mentally and physically, because you can never let your guard down, even in the off season. Mic drop. When media contacted Joe Wolf, anything else you wanna say? Because this is gonna become a thing. We're calling Hal for a comment. We're calling Cashman for a comment. We're gonna to try to reach G for a comment. Anything else? When you do an email like that, when you do a statement, you let it stand. You don't add anything. And Joe Wolf knows exactly what he's doing. He didn't add one thing when asked. What was he actually saying? People are speculating that he is the agent for that Japanese pitcher, Yamamoto, the one we've talked about, the one who could be getting $150 million. The one who may be going to the Yankees or the Mets rumored interest when he drops both foreign and domestic free agents do you think he was referring to yamamoto do you think those were purposeful his words do you think Joe wolf is smart and understands that every word is pur- pur- purposeful of course he does as a yankees fan do you think that yamamoto will not sign with the yankees because Joe wolf will not let him nope if the Yankees offer Yamamoto the most money, Joe Wolf will allow Yamamoto to be a Yankee because that is his responsibility, to get his player paid. He's not going to let a beef between Cashman and Stanton or Wolf and Cashman get in the way of a different client because he represents all of his clients to the best of his ability individually with indifference, sometimes reckless, which is the way you have to do it, toward any politics that are going on with a team and another player. You have to be able to represent more than one player on every team if you're gonna be a successful agent. And to do that, you can't take things personally and let it impact your representation of another player. So for all people worried that Yamamoto may not be a Yankee, don't worry about it. But what else was Wolf trying to communicate? He was trying to communicate to Hal Steinbrenner and to Brian Cashman that this is horse hockey, that what you are doing and allowing your GM to go unchecked and say things about a player in this regard, not during the season when it can be done in conjunction with the player. Remember we've talked about when you call out a player during the season, when it's motivating. This is the off season. There is absolutely no reason for a team to discuss any of its players without an agenda. What's the agenda that Cashman had with Stanton? To make him work harder, travel less, find a way not to get hurt? That's not an agenda. I wonder what's gonna be with this. I'll tell you one thing, this story is not over. You think when Stanton shows up to spring training, he's not gonna be asked about this? And you think that he won't be prepared by Joe Wolf and the PR people who Joe Wolf works with to get Stanton prepared to say what he will say? And I promise you, in February when it happens, or whenever Stanton speaks to the media next, he will say the exact perfect thing. The question is, when will Hal be ready to respond to it? Because when spoken to at the owners' meetings, he's like, "Ah, I can't talk about that. No comment. Not going to talk. You better start thinking about what you're gonna say because this story is not going away. Speaking of a story that is not exactly going away, the Buffalo Bills and their lack of ability to win games and their quarterbacks inability to do anything but turn the ball over, that's not going away. And one of you asked me a pretty funny question. You know what I want? <laughs> I wanna talk to Samson. So you wanna talk to Samson, get on my Twitter at David P. Samson, hit follow, and you can get in DMs and ask a question or you can just at me on Twitter or davidsampsonpodcast.com. We have different ways for you to reach out to us and we see almost everything. We may not be able to respond to everything, but man, do we try. I try. It helps that I don't sleep. Coke, I know you think I'm crazy for answering as many as I do. Not because you don't want me to, because you want me to get my rest, I get it. But some of the questions are too good. Hello, David. I love that. Hello, how are you? My question is about the Buffalo Bills. If they had beaten the Broncos, would the coach have been fired? And didn't they lose because of a penalty? I know you did. Hey, you know how to get to my heart. Yes, we lost a parlay because the Broncos missed a field goal at the end of the game. We would have won our three-way parlay with the Bucks and the Celtics and instead the Bills had 12 men on the field that's the special field special teams coach 12 men on the field penalty 5 yards repeat fourth down 36 yard field goal good Broncos win well guess what happened the day after the Buffalo Bills fired their offensive coordinator A guy named Ken Dorsey who started as quarterbacks coach and then moved up to offensive coordinator when the Giants took away the offensive coordinator Brian Dabble, and moved him to head coach as the Giants head coach. And then they promoted Dorsey from quarterback's coach to offensive coordinator. Now they fired the offensive coordinator and promoted the quarterback's coach to offensive coordinator. His name is Joe Brady. This was done fewer than 24 hours after that loss to the Broncos. And the best Sean McDermott co- could come up with, quote, just felt like it was time for a change. You know, we need to be a confident offensive football team and find consistent production. And that's really what it came down to. Funny, I thought it came down to a fumble. I thought it came down to a bad pass by Allen. I thought it came down to 12 men on the field. I wasn't quite sure it came down to the plays were bad. The execution was bad. I thought it came down to the fact that Josh Allen has become since his contract, a turnover prone guy. That's because he doesn't like the plays that are being called? Huh. I love firing coaches. Because it takes the heat off the manager, it takes the heat off the general manager, it takes the heat off the president. When the owner says, hey, we got to do something, I got an idea. Let's start with the coaches. In football, that's the equivalent of starting with the coordinators. That's the order. Do you think that Sean McDermott actually woke up and said, ooh, I feel it's time for a change? No managers in baseball or coaches in football want to fire their coordinators coaches third base coach hitting coach pitching coach offensive defense coordinator they none of them want to do it none of them wake up in the morning not one and say this feels like a good morning to fire my pitching coach the way it actually works is the gm and the president walk into the office of the manager or of the head coach of the football team and say hi We're pissed. We're pissed because we've been on the phone for three hours with the owner who's trying to understand why we stink. And he is demanding change. So, Sean, what do you got? Well, I don't think we need to make a change. Every manager I've ever had has said that. I think we're good. Give it a moment, give it time. We're getting there. We're good, we've got this. No, no, we demand a scalp right now. All right, offensive coordinator, fantastic. Bring him in. That's literally how it works. Ken, we're going a different direction and we have the manager do it. Although I always did it with the GM too, even though you could just have the coach do it. Ken, we're going a different direction because we just felt like it was time for a change. Ken looks at Sean and says, I get it. Obviously it's not my fault, but I get it. See you later. Just pay me the rest of my contract. Here's the key card. Bye-bye. I totally understand how the Buffalo Bills fans feel. I understand how the players feel and the frustration they have. On the other hand, firing Ken Dorsey ain't going to do squat. Because next weekend, guess what? Josh Allen is still your quarterback. If they had beaten the Broncos, the owner would not have rushed down to the GM to rush down to the coach to say, fire somebody. You're right, that's why I liked your question. But the Broncos won, and now Mr. Ken Dorsey is finished. Well, I'm gonna give you a wait to see. Wait to see is when I tell you something's gonna happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Sean McDermott, you're next. You are the next contestant on Who do we blame now? Because I don't think the Bills are getting any better. Something's going on with Josh Allen. Maybe he likes his contract. Maybe he's not as good. Maybe he's old, maybe he's hurt. Whatever the case may be, all I know is that when this Buffalo Bills season ends and they are not playing in January, and of course that means not playing in the playoffs, Sean McDermott is done. So my way to see is that the Bills head coach, Sean McDermott, will not coach the Buffalo Bills next season. Wait to see. Nothing personal pick of the day. We worked so hard to get back to 500. Oh, sorry. Nothing, ready? Wipe it. All right, ready, Coco? Seven, eight, six, nine. Nothing personal pick of the day. Brought to you by, we are 167 and 167. Worked so hard to get over 500, and now we're back to 500. We had the Mavs beating the Pelicans. Who knew that Luka Doncic was going to have a mediocre game? Who could believe that the Pelicans were going to beat him by three touchdowns? Yes, the NBA is a tough place. But we will persevere, and we will keep going. Tomorrow's nothing personal pick of the day, brought to you by... Is the Boston Celtics, they're playing the Sixers again. Celtics minus three and a half over the Sixers. Sixers are playing back to back. Remember, we had the Sixers over the Celtics earlier last week. Now we've got the Celtics in payback covering three and a half over the Sixers. That is the nothing personal pick of the day. Thank you for your time. We will be back tomorrow. I will be live on Levitard in just a couple of minutes doing the local hour. And guess what? We will be back tomorrow because it's just business. This is nothing personal.